are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Open your Bibles now, please, everyone, to uh, Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, correction, please. Romans chapter 13, Romans 13, now we've got it. Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. And thank you, Pastor, for every kindness to us and for being so gracious in the nice places to stay and the wonderful meals, everything has been fine. We thank God for you. In Romans 13 and beginning at verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. Ah, what's that? For now is our salvation nearer than we, be, we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fight the host thereof. Now watch it, please. To fight the lust thereof. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow after him. Pattern your life after him. Why? Because it's high time to wake out of sleep and to get wide awake and do what God says and serve him. Look back in your Bible to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 and verse 14. Ephesians 5, 14. Wherefore do you saith, Awake thou that sleepest, there it is again, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, Paul in his day called on people to wake out of sleep, get wide awake, wide awake. He said, uh, this is necessary for you to wait. If it was necessary back in the day of Paul, it's still more necessary now. Sin is continued and abounds more and more and will abound until the coming of our Lord. And we need to be wide awake. Churches ought to be wide awake. Every church ought to be wide awake, as your church is. Thank God for your church. Thank God for your pastor. Thank God for what you're doing. Wide awake. And everyone should be that way. Every church. These dead churches, Sunday morning hours, nothing Sunday night. Maybe a little whisper hour at six on Sunday evening. A few folks come, nobody much. And not, no prayer meeting. No visitation, no soul winning. You see, on and on you go. Last year in the Southern Baptist Convention, there were 7,000 Southern Baptist churches didn't have one single convert nor one baptism in 12 months. 7,000 churches, not one or two, but 7,000 didn't have a single baptism in 12 months' time. No, wait, it's time to wake out of sleep. No time to be drowsy, half awake, blind to the evil of this day. We're to be, we're to be wide awake. William James, the psychologist, years ago said, we're only half awake. That psychology is speaking. We're only half awake, and that's true from the Bible standpoint. Now, let me give you an outline. Number one, number one, we need to wake up to the greatness of our salvation. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found a little blind, but now I see. Your salvation. Listen carefully. The greatest thing that ever happened to you in the world is that you got saved. No, nothing else. The day that you're redeemed out of darkness and the light, out of hell into heaven. Now that's the greatest day of your life. 
no matter whatever happened, no matter what you ever do, no matter how much money you make, no matter what you become in the world, the greatest day you ever had was the day you got born again. Now, we forget that sometimes. See, I travel all the time in meetings now, since I retired, and uh, I see a lot of things. I'm in one meeting where 11 people got saved. I mean, beautifully, wonderfully saved. I dealt with someone down the front. They were crying in tears, 11 of them. And I had them stand up the front that come and shake hands with the new converts. You know what happened? The pastor woke up. He said, you young people, take your seats. We'll see you later. I said, we didn't do pastor. They just got saved. They said, we don't do it that way here. We examine them. I sent my deacons out to examine them. I'll send someone out to examine the deacons too, wouldn't you? And they said, we, we check them all. We don't, we don't just take them like that. I said, didn't do that in the day of Pentecost. 3,000 got saved and baptized in one day. Whoop. Well, he said, that's Pentecost. We don't do it now. Wait a minute. No concern. Wait a minute. This is the greatest thing of your life, your salvation. Nothing equals that. I don't care what kind of job you make, what kind of money you make, how big a house you have, what kind of car you drive. The greatest thing in your life is when you got born again. Now, keep that right before you. And that'll keep you humble. That'll keep you grateful. That'll keep you in prayer. That'll keep you trusting God when you remember that you're a child of God through His grace. And by His power, you're born again. And you're in the family of God. Now, we need to wake up to the greatness of our salvation. Now, remember your salvation. When you got saved, sit there right now. When did you get saved? Think of it. What day? How old were you? When did it happen? Think of that. Now, go back over that. Again, remember the joy that came into your heart when you got saved. I mean joy. Ain't old-fashioned joy. You were happy. Now, tears may fall, but you're happy just the same. Again, remember how you wanted other people to be saved when you got saved. And that's a mark of your salvation, that you wanted someone else to be saved when you were saved. And that's always true, all the way through life. And when you get born again, you want someone else to be saved, have the same joy you have. And that's the way God made it. And we should be that way. I'm preaching and chatting one Sunday morning, gave an invitation, and a lot of people came forward. One fellow came from the rescue mission, had stayed the night in the rescue mission, came out to the service that night, that morning, and was sitting at the front, came down the front, and he said, I want to get saved. I'll lead him to the Lord. And he made a very beautiful profession of faith. I walked back on the platform, you know, like I always do. And I got on the platform, extended the invitation. And all of a sudden, I noticed something. That fellow left the front and was up there with me on the platform. And I didn't know what to do, so I looked around at him. You know what he said to me? He walked over, pulled me aside. He said, Preacher, let me tell him. I can do it better than you can. Well, you see what I mean? He just got saved. He won't tell somebody else about it. And that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be all of the time. I had a big fellow say one Sunday morning in Holland Park. Great, big, tall, handsome young man. And uh, he said, uh, oh, I'm so happy I'm saved. I don't want to be baptized. I said, yes, sir, you may go back and get ready. And uh, I came in and baptized him. When he came up out of the water, I said the thing. I said, sir, are you married? He said, oh, yes. I said, is your wife saved? He said, no, sir. I said, you know what? You get home now. I'll be over there a little while in my Bible. We'll lead your wife to the Lord. He said, no, you won't. No, you won't. I said, man, I don't mind at all. I said, I'd love to come. He said, no, I don't want you. Well, I said, wait a minute. You just got saved. You want her to be saved. He said, yes, sir, but I'll do it myself. I'll tell her myself how to be saved. And he'd just been saved. Why shouldn't he? If he, if he got saved, he knew how he got saved, so he was going to tell her. I said, God bless you. Go on your way. Had prayer, and he left. Came back Sunday night. Pastor Ben at the auditorium, uh, the old auditorium seat, 3,500 people. And uh, I told the crowd, uh, I was tired now, I was tired full. And back in the back stood this big fellow. When he stood up saying, he stood up, a great big tall fellow, handsome fellow. 
and stood up, and nobody by his side that I could see. And uh, I said, there he is. He, his wife's not with him. And he failed. He failed. I know what he's going to do at the end of the hour. He's going to leave his seat back there and walk down the front and say, Preacher, you better come and help me tomorrow when, when my wife to the Lord. And so I preached the sermon, gave an invitation, and sure enough, at the end of it, down the side aisle, left aisle, he came down the aisle, uh, tromping down by himself. I said, there he is. I know what he's going to say. He turned the corner. I was wrong. By his side was a little short lady. He was way up here, and she was way down here. He said, this is my wife. I led my wife to the Lord this afternoon, and she was saved. I baptized her. I'm trying to make you see something. We need to wake up to the greatness of our salvation, number one. Secondly, we need to wake up to the importance of the Bible. Now, wait, this is old-fashioned. This is simple, but my dear friend, wait a minute. The greatest book in the world is the Bible. Now, why do we see that? Why do we apologize for Sunday school? That's where you teach the Bible. And the greatest book in the world is the Bible. I've seen the Library of New York City. They said 105 million volumes. I couldn't believe it, but that's what it said. 105. This book is worth more than all of them. This is the book of life and everlasting life. And this meeting, now wake up to the greatness of the Bible and the importance of the Word of God. Wake up to that. This is God's book in your home. Read your Bible. Mark your Bible. Underscore your Bible. Memorize verses. Uh, show it to other people. Let them see what you have. And stay with the Word of God. Now the modernists want to destroy the Bible. The modernists, they want to tear it to pieces. They want to cut it up. I prefer the King James Version. Always have. Had three years of Greek in the Southern Baptist Seminary. They recommend other versions. I said, no, I like this one. And uh, I, I took my work and kept going. Finished my, my three years in Greek under the famous A.T. Robertson. Had it all. But I said, I, I'm going to hit it sick today. And I'm saved with the King James. Wait a minute. I, I, I'm glad I have. Now, the importance of the Holy Word of God. Now, here's your Bible. Now, wake up to the promises in the Bible. Here's the promise of salvation all who believe. Whosoever will may come. Anyone, anywhere. Again, here's the promise of guidance. As I said this morning, he said, I will guide thee with mine eye. Here's the promise of comfort. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Here's the promise of supply, but my God shall supply all your need. Here's the promise of heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. Here's the promise of his coming. I will come again, receive you unto myself. And they're all in the word of God. And the Bible, now you wake up to the importance of the holy word of God. And this is the Bible. I believe it. I believe it. My dad passed away at 94. I'm going to see him again. He was a saved man. I'll see him again. My mother did not live so long. I'll see her again. I'll see great people. I'll see the man who baptized me, old J.N. Benford, and ordained me to the ministry. I'll see him again. I'm going to see the famous man who's going for. I see Dr. Charles Weigel, the great songwriter. I brought him into my church to live with us at 85 years of age. Excuse me, 80 years of age. He stayed 15 years. My, what a man. And wrote beautiful songs. We sang his song. You sing them here. No one ever cared for me like Jesus and others written by Dr. Weigel. And many, many a song written right in the Highland Park. I gave him a beautiful room to live in, apartment. Furnished everything for him for 15 years. Just had him there. And he went to be with the Lord. And uh, we, uh, on his 95th birthday, 95th, came on Sunday. So I took my Sunday evening service to the city auditorium. 
the city auditorium would seat 6,500 people, and we packed and jammed the building. Hundreds couldn't even get inside. The choir with their voices sang, and the orchestra played, and Dr. Lago sat in the box to one side. I had him stand up, and when he stood there, had the great audience to sing, Happy Birthday, Dr. Weigel. Oh, how they, how you loved it. He stood there, great man, 95 years of age. What a man. And we sang the song, and he sat there, and I preached and gave an invitation, so we're saved. And when it was over, I said, Doc, I'll take you back to your room. So he got in the car, and we drove back to his room, back his room at the building, the Wago building. And uh, we got inside, and and uh, I, I said, Doc, I want to ask you something. Was the service all right? Did everything go right? He said, oh, it was perfect. He said, imagine that crowd coming together and singing, Happy Birthday, Dr. Weigel. He said, oh, what a joy. What a privilege it was. I said, God bless you. I'm glad you liked it. And we had a prayer together, and I started to leave. When I got to the door, I got to the door, I found a box I'd carried with me when I brought him out. And a big old broad, uh, a box from a, a store, a suit box. And uh, I said, Doc, I got some here. Somebody gave this to me to give to you. So I put it in his hand. He said, open it up. I said, no, you better open it. They gave it to you. He said, no, no, I want you to open it up. And I said, all right. So I took my knife and cut the string and opened it up, looked inside. When it did, I said, uh, I don't believe you want this. I said, Doc, let me take this. I'm going to swap it in get you something better. He said, no, 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 what is it? I said, no, you would like it. He said, well, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Well, I said, all right. I took the lid off and showed him. Four or five students got together out of our school, Tennessee Temple, and having fun, they loved him. They bought him a coat, the loudest coat I've ever seen in my life. It was green and purple and blue and yellow. I never saw a thing. It would blind your eyes. You couldn't look at it. It was awful looking. And I held it up. He looked at it. And I said, oh, Doc, you don't want, he said, let me put it on. Are you listening? 95 years ago, I watched him. He unbuttoned his coat just like this, just by himself, unbuttoned his coat, took it off, and threw it back on the bed. He said, let me put it on. I put that coat on him. I never saw anything so ridiculous in my life. A coat that belonged to a boy 16 years old on a man 95. And there he stood. He said, how do I look? I couldn't tell him. I was embarrassed. I couldn't tell him. You know what he did? Reached over and picked up his Red Schofield Bible. I've got that book, Bible on my desk at home right now, this moment. A Red Schofield Bible. Walked over and sat down in the chair. And that, that loud, loud coat on. And held that Bible in his hand. You know, he said, I'm going to sit here every day and read the Bible. And think about these young people, how they love me and pray for them. I'm going to pray for all of them. And he said, thank you so much. And God bless you. Well, I left. In two or three days, called me again. He said, if you don't mind, Brother Robertson, I'm going home. I said, what do you mean, Doc? Uh, back to Florida? No, 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 no. I'm going home. I, I think it's time to go. He said, I'm not rushing at all. I haven't been in a hurry, but I think I better go to the hospital. I put him in the hospital. I got private nurses with him around the clock. I went to see him every day when I could. One day a nurse called me. Two or three days gone by. I said, you better come over. I went over and walked in the room. And that dear man, 95 plus, lying in the bed, nurse standing over the side. I walked up the bed and called his name. When I did, he raised his hand there and said, Lord, I'm ready. I'm coming home. In a few minutes, he was gone. Isn't that beautiful? And my dear friend, wait a minute. It's good to know the Lord. And the promises of your word. Wake up to the importance of the holy word of God. Number three, wake up to the will of God. Maybe you said so, you can't forget it. 
God has a will for every one of us. He has a will for your life. He has a will for this dear pastor. He brought him here in this church. He's here by the will of God. And you're here. And you must be in the will of God also. He has a will for you. Young man, he may want to call you to the ministry. Young lady, he may want to call you to mission for you. Or teach you, whatever it may be. But you're to say, dear Lord, I'm ready. I want to be in the will of God. Now, what's wrong with the world? People not in the will of God. What's wrong with our churches? They're in the will of God. What's wrong with Mr. Clinton? He's not in the will of God. Oh, you say you're talking out of turn. No, I'm not either. Mr. Clinton is now attending a Methodist church in Washington. A Methodist church that is worldly. The pastor is a gay rights man, pastor of the church right now. He's the Baptist, or Bill Clinton was, in, in, in Arkansas. Went to the old Emmanuel Baptist. And, and in, in going to a modern, and with his work, going to a modernistic church. Wait a minute, I'm trying to point out to you. The will of God. You stay where God wants you to be in the will of God. And say, dear Lord, I want to be in your will for my life. I want to serve you. That's for preachers, for deacons, for Sunday school teachers, for leaders, for ushers, for all of us. And to say, dear Lord, we want to be in the will of God. Watch it now. God's will is never foolish. Never foolish. No matter what people say, it's never foolish. God's will is never impossible. If it's God's will, you can do it. And God's will is never selfish. If you'll do what God says. And this is the will of God. And you're to say, dear Lord, I want to be in the will of God for my life. Tonight, tomorrow, and every day, I want to be in the will of God. The holy will of God. That's it. I began in the music field. I, I was the soloist for, for the University of Louisville for three years. And all the big, big chorus numbers in the city auditorium. I sang on WHS in Louisville. I was on the staff of WF. It was a big field in Memphis, Tennessee. And music was a big field for me, and I knew it. And I loved it. I, I studied under John Sample in Chicago, one of the great tenor singers of the world. And, uh, but God opened my eyes. He said, that's not for you. I have something else for you. And I turned my back on that altogether. I said, then, Lord, I'll do just what you say. And I became pastor of a little country church at 20, 20 years of age. And God called me. They paid me a big salary, $50 a month. I said, we could say a month. That's my total salary. Now I preach the gospel. Have the joy of winning soul. Now I'm pointing out to you. You wake up to the will of God. The will of God. Number four. Wake up to the indwelling Holy Spirit. I'm afraid we don't get that. If I asked you to raise your hand tonight. Do you know you're saved? Almost every hand would go up. Maybe all of them would. I don't know. If you're a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you now. Now think of that. Not going, I'm going to dwell someday. He dwells with you now. You have God the Holy Spirit with you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And when you became a child of God, He came in. And you're to say, dear Lord, I surrender myself to the Holy Spirit, which means you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'd all say, we should say, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That means He has complete control of your life. He controls your actions, your emotions, your, your, your conversation, all things. And you're submissive to Him and the fullness comes by emptiness. Be empty of self. Get self out of the way and say, Lord, I want to be filled. Then the fullness comes by submission. Say, Lord, your will be done. 
I want to be a submissive to the Lord. And your fullness will come by willingness to follow him. Willingness. I'm flying on a plane going to Charlotte, North Carolina. And sitting on my side of the plane studying. On the other side said a man, nice looking fellow, kept looking at me. I knew who he was. So I just kept on studying. In a moment, God came over. He said, you a preacher? I said, yes, sir. He said, no, you're reading the Bible, studying. What was your word? He said, good. I said, you're a Christian? He said, yes, sir, I am. I said, your family? He said, yes, my wife's saved. We've got two boys, they're saved. And we live in Charlotte. Oh, I said, that's wonderful. God bless you. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to talk to you. He sat there quietly. And then all of a sudden, he spoke out, this, this man. He said, uh, preacher, I'm in trouble. I am saved and I know it. But I'm not happy. I'm a miserable Christian. I'm not happy at anything. I, he said, I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong with me. What, what do you think it is? I said, I can tell you what it is. If you're saved, well, I'm saved. I said, uh, before I tell you, I'm going to read it from the Bible. Before I tell you, would you let me ask you something? What kind of work are you in? He said, I'm a doctor. I'm a surgeon. And he mentioned the leading hospital of Charlotte. He said, I'm highly paid. I have money. Plenty of it. Beautiful home. Paid for. I've had it all. And I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a Christian. He said, I know I'm saved, but he said, there's something wrong with my life. And he said, can you help? I said, sure I can. I began reading to him the word of God about definite things, the fullness of the spirit and so forth. And all of a sudden, he reached over and grabbed my hand and said, wait a minute, I've got it. I know now what it is, and thank God for it. I believe now I've conquered the whole business and understand how to have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And I said, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I held him with a hand and said, now, doctor, this means the following. If you're submissive to the Lord, you'll go where he wants you to go. Is that a will? You'll do what he wants you to do. You'll do it. You'll go where, you'll say what he wants you to say. He said, yes, sir, I will. And that means your submission is the thing that you've been lacking. You want to be submissive to the Lord. I'm holding the doctor by the hand and saying it. And all of a sudden, I said these words. This means that if God would say to you, sell your medical practice, get rid of your equipment, and go to Africa and be a medical missionary in Africa, you'd go. When I said that, he jerked his hand out of mine and said, no, sir, wouldn't do that. I have no interest in that. I said, wait a minute. I said, if God should call you, you'd go. He said, no, and if God called me, wouldn't go. He said, I wouldn't go at all. I said, sir, I put my finger on your trouble. His trouble was unwillingness to submit to the plan of God. And that may be your trouble, my friend. You're lying to yourself and to your family, your loved one, to your church, and to your Lord. You're unwilling for God to have his way with you. In the matter of your living, your tithing, your witnessing, your teaching, your preaching, whatever it may be. And you're going to say to your Lord, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be willing to follow you anywhere that you want me to go. And wake up to the indwelling Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want God to use me in his service. I hasten on. We need to wake up to the fact we're living in a sinful, wretched day. And my friend, we are. Sodom and Gomorrah. Do not even compare with what we have today. More immorality, more lying, more cheating, more stealing. More people in the prisons. Uh, all on and on you can go. Exceeding anything of any day. Sin abounding on every Now we ought to wake up to that. We're living in a wretched, sinful day. 
a beautiful, wonderful day in which to live. Opportunities everywhere, radio, television, everywhere in the world. And yet at the same time, sin abounding everywhere. Prisons are filled, packed and jammed. Hospitals are full to the last bed. And caring for people with all types of diseases that are brought on by the sinfulness of this hour. Now wait a minute, we need to see this. An authoritative book on this matter of, of the present day, given to me the other day, said the following. We have a million teenagers who get pregnant every year. Not married, a million teenagers. A million six hundred thousand abortions committed every year in America. A million six hundred thousand. And the book says in 1973, 30 million babies have been cut off from life by abortion. 30 million killed abortion. Currently, there are 11 million alcoholics in America. 76 million families have at least one member of the family struggling with alcoholism. And last year, the book said 401,000 suicides in one year. I never heard that before. I've been saying 60 or 70,000 suicides a year. This book said 401,000. book published a few weeks ago. Now these are some sad things better see, but we're asleep. We're not wide awake. And this book is telling us that we need to wake up and see what we're doing. Wake up to the sinful, wretched day in which we're living. We're asleep as a nation. We ignore the Bible. We ignore the Word of God. We play with it. We act like we do, but we do nothing about it. Again, we ignore the signs of the times, uh, wars and rumors of wars everywhere. They're going on right now. In the morning when you wake up, you'll be reading another war, a little war coming off somewhere. Maybe in the West Indies, maybe overseas, maybe anywhere, but strife all of the time. Again, we ignore the Lord's Day. And we put the Lord's Day, football, baseball, basketball, on the Lord's Day. Am I right? Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, a TV broadcast, baseball game, football games, all of them, and we ignore God's day altogether. And a beautiful city like Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, that's as Atlanta, a church city, you know that, a church city. Baptists are strong there, Methodists are strong there, all churches are strong. Uh, when they have ball games on Sunday, no matter what time it may be, maybe at noon, maybe at night, the crowds won 35 and 40,000 people. They fill the stands. And any game on Sunday, the Lord's Day, in a, in a so-called good city for churches. I'm just pointing out to you, we're ignoring the Lord's Day, and we're having business as usual. We're turning away, and we ignore the Bible standards of life. How we should live the separate life, the pure life, the honest life, the decent life, and we're turning away from God. Now wake up. We have the only message the world needs, the only message the Word of God. Christ the Savior, the only Savior. Live with the Word of God. Live with the Bible. Now, I'm not going to ask you what you think about it. I don't care. But the matter of O.J. Simpson. They spent one solid year, I guess now, about a year's time, arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Millions of dollars have been spent. Every lawyer on that case is getting rich. All of them, all of them. And one man and his crime, whether true or untrue, I'm not going to that. But all of it could have been settled by one thing, by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If OJ had been saved, he wouldn't have anything. If OJ had been in church, we wouldn't have anything. See how simple it is? And yet we make it intricate, involved, hard to understand why things happen when you turn away from God and refuse God. Wake up, wake up to the awfulness of sin. Well, let me give another. We must wake up to the power of influence. No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. I've got an influence. You have too. As a matter of fact, everyone has influence of some kind. And you should look at yourself and say, Dear Lord, I'll need the right kind. Therefore, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to attend church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I'm going to give a tithe. I'm going to guide my family by the Word of God. I'm going to seek the will of God. Now, you need to know that you have influence, the power of influence. And no matter who you may be, everyone has an influence. The pastor calling out this young man who was saved and baptized this morning. Now, he has an influence. That influence will tell for, for God or for Satan, but one way or the other, right or wrong, black or white, and he's going to have to answer. He's got an, I've got an influence. And you're living, you're to be clean and faithful and right with God. And we need to wake up to the power of influence. Somebody is watching you at, in your home, in the neighborhood, in the school, in the business, in the office. Somebody is watching you. You need to wake up. And finally, we must wake up to the command of God. The command of God. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, and ye should be witnesses unto me, Acts 1.8. And we're to go and obey him and send the gospel to people everywhere, everywhere. Let your church be always a missionary Baptist church. Be missionary at home and abroad. And you cannot give the Lord. I challenge the people of Highland Park. We began with one missionary in 1942, one. We soon had 500. And then 565, when I retired, I had 565 missionaries. 58% of all the money went to missions. You gave a dollar, 58 cents went to missions. They said you couldn't do it. Oh, it was done. We bought 55 acres of land, scores of big buildings, dormitories, all of them, paid for all of them. Every bill, every bill paid today. When I retired, every single thing, not a penny, oil, anything at all. And we gave 58% of the base. I'm simply saying, when you put God first and do what God says and obey the Great Commission, then God's going to bless you. And we must obey the command of God and keep on being a missionary church and love God and serve God and live for Him and let God even wake up and say, Oh God, we're going to do our best. I preached one Sunday morning in Highland Park. A young lady came forward, took me by the hand, said, Brother Robertson, I feel called to be a missionary. And I was surprised, and the people were surprised. She was the head nurse in one of the hospitals of our city, top nurse, that I'd be a call to be a missionary to Africa. I said, God bless you. And I gave her name to the audience. They came and shook hands with her. She stood there crying and shaking hands. That I mean business. The next day, the doctor called me. Dr. Campbell called me from the hospital, head of the doctors. He said, that can't go. We had to stop her. He said, she can't go. We need her here. She's, uh, she's the head nurse. She's the one we depend on. And you can't, you know, we can't let her go. And she can be a missionary in Chattanooga just well as in Africa. Said, you tell her to stay here. I said, Doc, you tell her yourself. 
I'm not going to tell a girl anything. And I didn't. She went to Mission Field. Spent four years. Did a wonderful job. A missionary nurse working on the field. Winning souls. Doing a big job. Came home. Made her, her, her trips around the church and thanked the people. Went back to the field again. Got on the field the same time and doing a big job in North Rhodesia, northern Rhodesia. And one day she met a young man, an Englishman, an engineer, a Christian engineer from London. Came to that field doing some work. They fell in love and they married. And they were happy. And I heard about her. She wrote me letters about the whole thing. She went on being a missionary nurse doing the work. He went on being an engineer for the government. And everything going wonderful and fine until one morning she got up to cook breakfast in that little home they lived in on the mission compound, a uh, grass uh, roof, a uh, little building, and getting re breakfast ready. When she got ready, she called, said, Mike, ready? Come on. And no answer. She called again, no answer. Went back to the bed. He lying there. He said, honey, I can't move. My legs won't move at all. And she began to work with a nurse, began to check him. Paralyzed from his waist down. Called for the doctor. Put him in the hospital. Then took him to London. In six months hospital in London. Never could walk. Never could walk again. And after six months in the hospital in London, they dismissed him. They came to Chattanooga. We gave him a home next to our home on Bailey Avenue. Got an apartment for him. I put a rampway up there to push that wheelchair up. And old Michael Warburton and his wife moved in. And she kept on going to churches, giving her testimony as a missionary nurse. And he stayed there around the building, went to church, ever served in a wheelchair. And very, very active in the service, but in a wheelchair. And uh, I, I rejoiced in what they were doing. But one morning, I'm walking up Orchard Knob Avenue, coming up toward Bailey. And as I walked up the street, he turned the corner of that wheelchair. And he seemed to go about 60 to 70 miles an hour every time he got in it. I mean, he let her go. He had muscles, arm muscle. He ran the thing down the street, stopped in front of me, and he said, Brother Robertson, God has called me to be a missionary. I said, Mike, that's wonderful, but you can't be one. You can't walk. He said, you didn't hear me, did you? He said, God has called me to be a missionary. I said, we didn't hear you. He said, I'm going. Are you listening? He began taking Bible studies with us. In a few months' time, the two of them went back to northern Rhodesia. He was in a wheelchair. And the authorities in that country have told me that he built more churches in the first four years back on the field that they had built in scores of years. From a wheelchair in a, 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 a car that he, that he manufactured with his own hands to ride in, to drive with his own hands, and went around the country building churches and winning souls and doing the job in a marvelous way. You see, my friend, we've got to obey the Lord and do what God says. The last time that my wife and I went to London, we got off the airplane and came inside. And when you step in the big airport in, 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 in London, there's a great big glass pane of glass all the way across the building, floor, floor to ceiling. That's where the folks coming in. They have to be examined, checked out before they go from there outside. And so we're getting checked out. I looked through the glass on the other side. I saw sitting in a wheelchair Michael Warburton. By his side was his wife. 
They flew up from northern Rhodesia to London to welcome us when we came to London. and said, we just wanted to see you again and talk with you and pray with you. Oh, listen to me, my friend. You obey the Lord. You obey the Lord. Now get my final thought. We must wake up to the command of God. Young man, young woman, if God's calling you for some service, then say, Lord, I'm ready. Here am I, send me. Whatever it may be, Lord, I'm ready. I'll do whatever God says. I want to obey my Lord. I want to be in the center of his will. Obey the Lord in spite of difficulty, in spite of antagonism of the world, in spite of failures of others. You say, dear Lord, I'm set on this one thing. I'm awakened to the need of this world. I want to give myself, and I'm ready to serve you anywhere you want me to go. I want to give the best of the Lord. Now, have you got my thought, my last thought? Wake up to the command of God. And for all of us, there's the command. God is something he wants you to do. There's a task for you. And you're going to say, Lord, I'm ready. I will do whatever you want me to do. I want to be a soul winner. I want to point people to the name of God. I want to do something here in this city of mine to point people to the Savior. And I want God to use me. I want to commit myself to him now to say, Lord, I'm ready to do whatever you say. I want God's hand to be upon me. I want to do the task that God gives me to do. I want to witness to others. With this I close, I preach up in West Virginia. I preach up there often. I love the hills and valleys of West Virginia. And uh, I'm preaching in church. I, told, I spoke on witnessing and soul winning. God having a burden for the Lord. I spoke on people being condemned by their unbelief. He that believeth not is condemned already. And I kept on saying it. I drove it home. One lady there heard what I had to say, went home. Set up until midnight, waiting for a husband to come in. He came in at midnight, been drinking, been gambling. She met him at the door, said, Husband, I haven't done, I haven't done my best. I'm, I'm a saved person, I'm going to heaven. And you're lost, you're condemned, you're going to hell. But I want you to know now that I love you. And Jesus died for you, and I want you to be saved. And boy, she made an appeal. He laughed at her. That's foolish stuff. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.